Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. from the New American Standard Songbook, page one. This is 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9. 1 John, 1, verse 9.
from a New American Standard songbook. And this page four is a song based on Ephesians chapter six. This song is based on Ephesians six, verse 13 to 18. Ephesians six, verse 13 to 18. So if you don't have a copy of the songbook, you can just turn in the Bible to Ephesians 6, verse 13, and start reading along with us. Page 4. Sign language. 
So we're providing those services and letting you know in case anybody you know is within driving distance. Now, let's see the next song here. And uh, Brittany is the one that does all this. <laughs> Brittany does the sign language and the Spanish translation, so we're going to be really putting her to work. I just hope we don't need both at the same time. <laughs> Although she is learning Spanish and sign language. So she could be signing the Spanish language. So if we do have to do both at the same time, we can put her to work on that too. So God bless her for all of her studies and effort that she's putting into preparing this for you. All right, let's see here. Let's do 1 Chronicles 29, and that's page 6 of the New American Songbook. Page 6 is 1 Chronicles 29, based on verse 10 to 14. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10 to 14. And these songs are not word-per-word scripture, but they're very close to it. Um, But it's based on these scriptures. I did not write it. I did not uh, do this music. I just found it online a few months ago, and we've been using it for several months, or maybe a year now, whatever. We we go back and forth between two different songbooks, two different CDs, and this is one of them, based on the New American Standard Scriptures. So page six. Oh, 
Praise your holy name. We worship you, Father, and we ask you, God, to have your way, Lord. We thank you, Father, that the winter is almost over with. Thank you for preserving us and getting us through these past few months and every year of our life thus far. You have always been there for us. You've always been merciful. You've always, Lord, shown us your love. You have always sought us, and your arm and your hand is stretched out every day to us. We thank you, Father, for that. There's always opportunity to repent until the door is shut. We thank you, God, for what you're doing, for what you've already done, for what you're going to do, for the power and the glory that you manifest. You're truly in control and on your throne. Praise your holy name, Father God. In Jesus' name, we ask God for your help today in this service, that you be glorified, that you be blessed, that you be worshipped, and that the people be edified and helped. We pray, God, for your special anointing on the sermon, on the service, and everything said and done. For your help in speaking only the truth and for your help speaking only what you want me to speak. And your anointing on the hearing to receive your word as your word and not the word of man. Help us, God, to receive your word and to apply your word into our lives that we may be purified, washed, sanctified, and made ready for your appearing. Praise your holy name. You are faithful to finish what you started. You are the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The almighty, eternal Father, Theos, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our sins and help us, Lord, in all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Praise God. Well, we're going to start today in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 11. 1 Samuel, chapter 11.
reading from the New American Standard, 1 Samuel 11. And you may also need your Alpha and Omega Bible for when we get to those verses that's been translated there, which looking at that, I only see one verse that we're going to use unless God lays something else in my mind. Uh, but let me just grab our Alpha and Omega Bible real quick while you're turning to 1 Samuel 11. For the record, today's date in the Roman Catholic calendar is March the 5th, 2016 A.D. March the 5th, 2016 A.D. In the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in God's created calendar, it is the 26th day of the 12th month. 26th day of the 12th month. There are 13 months this year in God's created calendar, which is kind of confusing, but don't let it be. Uh, there's a reason for uh, that ever so many years, a 13th month uh, occurs in order to uh, realign the calendar to where it needs to be, because God's calendar goes by the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, in, rather than uh, the Roman formula. So uh, you can study that online at isawlightministries.com. Look for the article, uh, God's Created Calendar. God's Created Calendar. And then you can study on that article. Read slowly. Read it over and over. And uh, read in prayer. And God will help you to understand that and learn how to tell the time. As the agent people did, as, as the followers of Jesus Christ did back in the old day. In 1 Samuel 11, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Lahash the Ammonite came up and besieged Jabesh, Galim, Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, I will make it with you on this condition. Thou will gorge out the right eye of every one of you. Thus I will make it a reproach or shame on all Israel. And the elders of Jabesh said to him, Let us alone for seven days that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. Then, then if there is no one to deliver us, we will come out to you. 
Then the messengers came to uh, Gabia of Saul and spoke these words in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field. That was the first king of Israel before David. God had anointed as king of Israel, the first human king of Israel. And this was after God had already told Saul and Samuel that Saul has been appointed to be the first human king of Israel. Saul has already been notified of that. And he's about to be crowned or anointed as that king. But he's not quite yet crowned, but he already has the power and authority that God gave him. He's already been ordained and appointed to be king. So it says the whole Saul was coming from the field behind the ox. And he said, what is the matter with the people that they weep? So they related to him the words of the men of Gobesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words, and he became very angry. What made Saul angry? Was it the devil? Was it his pride? Was it his carnality? Was it his flesh? Was it his weaknesses, his sin? No. It was the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came mightily upon him, and he became angry. Not all anger is of the devil. Some anger is of the devil, and the majority of the anger that is out there in the world is of the devil and of the individual. Not everything is of the devil. Not every evil thing is of the devil. Sometimes the evil is ourselves, our own fault. The devil is just a man. He's really an angel, a fallen angel. But when I say the devil is only a man, I'm saying he's not God. He's not everywhere. He's not in every city. The devil is not in Chicago and New York and San Francisco and China and Russia and your own home. He can only be at one place at one time. He's not God. So he's got to stop lifting up the devil and glorifying the devil and saying the devil did it all the time. Every instance, everything that happens, the devil did it, the devil did it, the devil did it. No, he can't be in everybody's home at the same time like God can. The devil is not God. Sometimes we've got to take the fault ourselves. I did it. My fault. Now this particular anger was godly anger. Remember when Jesus went into the temple and overthrew the tables? Jesus was very angry. It was righteous anger. The Bible talks about righteous anger. And uh, God is coming back in anger with great wrath to destroy the wicked. God does get angry. And it's not of the devil when God gets angry. Now, what caused this anger? What caused this inswelling of the Holy Spirit that aroused this anger? It was the actions of the wicked. 
Amen. It was a righteous reaction, a righteous reaction to the wicked. Verse 7, he took a a yoke of oxen. Now, when it says oxen there, I can say ox or I can say oxen. Is that twisting or distorting or adding to or taking away from the Word of God? No, because when this was written, it didn't even say oxen. This is an English word. This is an English translation. So it's appropriate and okay and acceptable if I translate the word oxen into the word ox. Because ox, I can understand better. Of course, oxen is probably pearl of ox. But I can understand ox better. I'm not adding to or taking away from the word of God. The word ox was not even in the Bible originally. This is only an English translation. So I can continue to translate it as ox or oxen in my mind. So he took a yoke of ox or oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done as to this oxen. In other words, he said, what he was trying to say, or what he was saying, was that I want you people throughout the territory of Israel to come and gather together for battle, to fight the enemy. And I want you to come and and stand behind Saul and Samuel. And whoever does not come out and follow Saul and Samuel, then you will be cut to pieces, just as I have cut this ox into pieces. Saul, at this point of time, was ordained by God, anointed of God, and influenced by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. He did not say, let's just talk this out. He said, let's go fight. He didn't say, let's send an ambassador to the enemy. He didn't say, let's go send a diplomat to find a peace treaty. Sometimes it is good to make peace with the enemy. And other times, We must fight the enemy. We must be led by the Spirit of God to know the difference of when to make peace and when to fight. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, it says that there is a time for war and peace, I think. Hold your finger right there. I want to look at that verse real quick. Hold your finger there. We'll come back to this. Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse uh, 1. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. 
There is a point in time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There is a time for everything under heaven, verse 1. There is a time for each of these things. We are not supposed to be at peace 24-7, 365, with anything and everything. There is a time to be at war. There is a time to tear apart. There is a time to throw stones. There is a time to tear down. There is a time to shun and to distance yourself from the enemy. It's not always, let's make peace. Amen. Now, I believe in peace, going back to 1 Samuel 11. I believe in peace. I want peace. God wants peace. God desires peace. I desire peace. The church desires peace. But that does not remove that there is time for war, for fighting, for disfellowship, and so forth. There's a time for it. Now, it's not always time for those things. There's also a time for peace, right? We have to know the difference by the Holy Spirit, be led of the Holy Spirit. The world has a philosophy of peace all the time, coexists. Never offend, never speak out against homosexuality, never speak out against abortion, never speak out against uh, Islam, never speak out against the Muslims, never speak out against this and that, get along, kissy-kissy, huggy-huggy, love and peace, mercy and grace, but no obedience, no discipline, no judgment. The world today hates discipline. The world today hates judgment. The world today hates correction. Amen. But they're always ready to rebuke and speak against the truth. They claim peace. They claim love. This is the white horseman, the spirit of the white horse. Go back on to the website isawthelightministries.com and look at the article before horsemen Revealed. The first of the four horses was the white horse. And the white is the appearance of righteousness, of holiness, of cleanness. But it's a false appearance. He has the heart of war. He goes forth uh, to conquer and conquering. It is the Nobel Peace Prize. It is the coexist bumper sticker. It is the uh, pacifism of today's Democrat Party, where the Democrat Party thinks 
that they can sign a peace treaty with Iran, that they can send a diplomat to Cuba, where they can work out their problems with the devil. You can't work out your problems with the devil, with Iran, with Cuba. You have to stand face to face with them and not back down. Amen. But they're always ready to speak against the true Christian. That's the way it's been throughout time. They've always been ready to speak against the true Christian, his apostles, his prophets, and to put them to death, to persecute them, to despise them, to resist the word of God, to resist the authority of God. That's the way it is, always has been, and is today. But look here in 1 Samuel 11, verse 7. Starting again in verse 7, he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, come out and follow them, so shall it be done to his oxen. Or maybe that this will be done to his oxen, maybe. Then the dread of the Lord fell. King James says, fear of the Lord. That the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out as one man, meaning all in unity and agreement, let's come out, follow Saul, follow Samuel, and defeat the enemy. So verse 8, he came out as one man, verse 8, he numbered them in uh, Berzek, and the sons of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, uh, 30,000. So here the word Judah is referring to the Jews. So there's 30,000 Jews here, and Israel, sons, men, Israel, 300,000. People think the Jews and Israel are the one and same thing. But there are many more people of Israel. Look at the numbers and difference here. There are many more Israelites than there are Jews. Now, Jews are part of Israel, but they're only one tribe. And all the other tribes, the other 11 tribes, their men of the army numbered uh, 10 times as men because there were 11 other tribes. The Jews are only one out of the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 9, they said to the messengers who had come, thus used to say to the men of gabash tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you will have deliverance. They went by the sun, the moon, and the stars for a time. They didn't have watches and cell phones like we have today. They went by when the sun is hot in the heat of the day. They went by the sun, the moon, and the stars to tell time. So the messengers went and told the men of Gabash, and they were glad. Then the men of Gabash said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next morning, when is tomorrow? Is tomorrow at sunset, or is tomorrow in the morning? It's very, 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 very clear here. Now, the Jews and the Hebrew roots people and the Seventh-day Adventists, they teach that tomorrow, the beginning of the next day, is at sunset. But according to Scripture, according to this Scripture and many other Scriptures, tomorrow, the beginning of the next day, 
is in the morning, not at sunset. So we keep the seventh day and all the holy days from sunrise to sunrise, not sunset to sunset. The Jews learned sunset to sunset from Assyria and from Babylon because that was the pagan custom that the Jews adopted. So verse 11, the next morning, which is tomorrow, the next morning Saul cut the people in three companies, meaning three troops, uh, three units, military units. And they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch. The morning watch is a way of telling time. And struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. This is a a bad translation here. A better understanding, a better translation would be to say, Who said that Saul uh, is proud, proudful, and uh, who put Saul in charge? The people were saying, who is resisting Saul? And whoever is resisting Saul's leadership, bring him out, and they would be put to death. Now, the same thing Saul himself said. Saul himself said, back in verse 6, verse 7, that there is a curse if you do not follow the leaders of God. I mean, this is Bible. This ain't me. This is Bible. Saul threatened the people if they would not come and follow the leaders. And then the people themselves in verse 12, the people themselves said, who is it that resists the leadership? Bring them out and we will kill them. Not that we should kill anybody today. Things have changed since Old Testament times. We don't kill people now. God is the executioner, and God will take care of the people. God will take care of the disobedient. Our weapons of our warfare today are no longer the sword. Back then, they lived by the sword. But in the New Testament times, the New Covenant times, We don't live by the sword. The Bible, the New Testament, warns us that those that live by the sword shall die by the sword. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So I'm not teaching that we need to be a militia. I am purely anti-militia. But I'm not anti-war. And I'm not anti-military. There is a military appointed for each nation. And the militaries are necessary. The militaries are necessary. Leave the physical fighting, the bloodshed, leave that up to the military. Amen. That is their job, and they are ordained for that job. That's appointed in the scriptures, that there be militaries for the nations. They have their job. Let them do their job. Our warfare is not carnal. Our warfare is with words, and we do fight with words. Now, it says here, but, in verse 13, but Saul said, not a man should be put to death this day. 
For today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. So Saul here is now toning down his words and saying, today is a day of rejoicing. Today is a day of gladness in different words. This was his principle. This was his meaning. This is what he was trying to get to the people, is that God has given us victory. God has given us deliverance. Let us be thankful. Let us have gratitude in our heart and our minds, and let that be our focus today, now that God has given us the victory. Amen. Let our focus now be on thanksgiving and gratitude. Verse 14, then Samuel said to the people, come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal and before they made, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they also offered sacrifices and peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. But, if they had not went out and fought, they would not have gotten the victory. Amen. Today, in our Western modern society, people want God to be a genie. Rub the magic lantern, let God do everything, and we sit and do nothing. But the truth is, even in the end times, even in the new covenant, that there is a time that we must take action of our own, and God would give us the victory if we do what we're supposed to do. We need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Let's go to uh, 2 Chronicles. 17, the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 17. 2 Chronicles 17. That's over to the right, just a little bit. 2 Chronicles 17, starting in verse 1. In 2 Chronicles 17, verse 1. Verse 1 says, Jehoshaphat and his, his, his son then became king in his place and made his position over Israel firm. He placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asha, his father, had captured. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's earlier days and did not seek the balls, that meaning the false gods, but saw the God of his father, followed his commandments and did not act as Israel did. This was a godly leader, a godly king, a godly ruler. But notice in verse 2, that he did use military. He was a man of God, appointed of God, kept God's commandments, was obedient to God. 
was a righteous man. But he believed in having a strong military. Amen. And that was good and fine because you need to defend your nation, your kingdom, from those who would bring in false gods, who would invade. You have to protect the kingdom from the invaders that would bring in false gods, disobedience, and so forth, who would destroy the nation. Now, verse 5 says, we're in 2 Chronicles 17, verse 5, so the Lord established the kingdom in his control. And all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. Now, riches is one thing. And today in the New Covenant, we should not concern ourselves with riches, physical riches at all. But honor is something to covet. Honor is something to seek. Honor is something to work for. Honor is something to really account uh, as gold. More precious than gold. Honor is extremely important. And we are to honor the king, the Bible says, to honor the king. In verse 6, he took great pride in the ways of the Lord. This is not wrongful pride. This is godly pride, just like the wrongful anger and righteous, uh, wrong anger and righteous anger. Here is good pride, great pride, not wrong pride, in the ways of the Lord. And again, we moved the high places and the asherim from Judah. What's an asherim? It is a whatnot. It is a graven image of a unicorn, a horse, a fish, a turtle, whatever animal, whatever person, whatever human, an angel, a figurine of a living thing, a living being. We have a lot of those in the land of Israel today. We have a lot of those in the land of America today, Asherims. Graven images everywhere. Everywhere you look, all over the store, all over everybody's house, in the house and homes of people who claim to be following Jesus Christ. We need to get rid of the Asher hymns. We need to get rid of these whatnot figurines, graven images. The Bible says, second, what is the second, third commandment? That you shall not make unto you any image. Any graven image, but then it goes on and says, any likeness of anything in heaven or in earth. We're not to have likenesses of Jesus Christ. That's not Jesus. All the pictures of Jesus are based on the son of a pope, a real man that lived. And we hang that up on our wall, pictures of that son of a Catholic pope. And that's history, and that's documented. You can look it up. Go do your research. When people have pictures of Jesus and statues of Jesus, it is a statue of a real man that actually lived, the son of a Roman Catholic Pope. This is an abomination unto the Lord, and it is an ashram. But this man, King Jehoshaphat, removes these graven images from the land of Judah. Amen. Now, did he go and send forth a diplomat? Did he go and send forth an ambassador to kindly remove these graven images? 
No. He would have destroyed them and smashed them with sledgehammers, whatever they had at that time. Verse 7. Then in the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, uh, Ben-Hail, Obadian, Zechariah, Nethanel, Michael, and to teach the cities of Judah. And with them, the Levites, and Shemaiah, uh, only I can't say these words, Zadiah, Ashahim, Shemamoth, Shehoah, Nathan, Eboadrah, uh, Tabajah, and Tabalahalachalalalah, <laughs> and the uh, Levites, and with them, Elijahama and Jehoram, the priests. Verse 9, they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them, and they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. Now, the dread of the Lord, and King James says, fear of the Lord, and that's a good translation of that particular sentence, fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord went was on the kingdoms of the land, which were around Judah, so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Now, why was it that they had peace? These other nations that surrounded Judah did not make war against Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Why? Was it because they had good diplomacy? Was it because they had good peace treaties and peace agreements? No. It was because of the fear of the Lord. And why did those other nations have fear of the Lord that they would not attack Jehoshaphat? It was because Jehoshaphat had a good military, a strong military. It is important, it is vital that America have a strong military and that military be based on righteousness, that we don't allow homosexuality in the military, that we would not allow uh, graven images and false gods and Islam and all that in the military. There should never be allowed a Muslim in the United States military. But today, we no longer have a Jehoshaphat for king, but rather we have named the most wicked king in the Bible, and that is what we have for America today, who has shrunk the U.S. military and put Muslims as the leaders of the military, and the gay people, the homosexuals, as the leaders of the military. Will God bless such a nation? Will God bless such a military? Absolutely not. God will not bless America. You can say God bless America a million times a day. God will not bless America until America repents, until their leader repents, and until the population themselves repents. And until we repent. Amen. It is important to have a strong military, a military that follows the direction and the spirit of the Lord. A military that will rise and fight the wicked. We should rise and fight the wicked instead of making peace treaties with the devil. Every time in the Bible that they made a peace treaty with the devil, guess what happened? Israel was defeated in those battles and in those wars because they sought to coexist and get along and not offend and make agreements with the devil. We should do no such thing. 
Do no such thing. Never make agreement with the devil. There is a time for war and a time for peace. A time to talk it out and a time to rebuke. A time for everything under the sun. Now verse 11 says, Some of the Philistines brought gifts and silver as tribute to Jehoshaphat. Not only did they not make war with him, they gave him money and gifts because the fear of the Lord was upon him. They're like, let us treat this man with extra kindness, honor, and loyalty, and reverent fear because the Lord is with him, and the Lord gives him military victory. Even the Arabians, the Philistines, which is the Palestinians and the Arabians, the Saudi Arabians and the Turks, all these people, also brought flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats, and Jehoshaphat grew greater and greater, and he built, guess what, more military. Even though they were at peace, even though the heathen and wicked nations were giving them gifts, he didn't shrink the military in time of peace. He didn't shrink the military or weaken the military in time of peace when everybody was bribing him and, and bowing at his knees, on their knees. But rather, he continued to build the military. You know why? Because he knew that the peace with these nations were only temporary. He knew the history of the Bible. He could look around and see the wickedness of the nations, even though that they were uh, at peace with them. He knew that war was coming, that peace is always temporary. Amen. Until Jesus comes. So he continued to build the fortresses and the strong or the store cities in Judah. And he had large supplies in the cities of Judah and warriors, valiant men in Jerusalem. You know what a valiant men, I can't say it, but you know what it is? As a strong man, a warrior, a masculine, manly man. This is not homosexuals in the military. And this is not women in the military. This is strong, bold, brave warrior men. Amen. And it was also men of honor. Amen. Men of honor. Verse 14. This was their muster according to their father's households. And it gives the numbers there. Now, let's go to Job 28. The book of Job, chapter 28. And that is before the book of Psalms. Job 28. Chapter 28, verse 28. Job 28, verse 28. We're reading from New American Standard Bible, New American Standard Bible, but you're welcome to try to follow along in the King James. Verse 28 says, this is Job speaking, and it says, to the man he said, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Amen. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. 
and to depart from evil is understanding. Job had been afflicted by the devil under permission of God. Job had not done anything wrong. He had not sinned any specific sin to bring the affliction upon him. He was being afflicted by the devil because God allowed it to prove that Job was faithful to him, that Job was a faithful and righteous man. So he had afflictions on him, even though he was a righteous man. We will all suffer afflictions. That is life. It's life. We will suffer afflictions, whether we are righteous or wicked. The Bible says that you're going to suffer either way. But if we suffer, let us suffer for righteousness and not for evil. But he had three friends who saw what was happening to him. And these three friends wrongfully accused him of sin. They thought, well, you've got all these afflictions. You've lost your family, your fortunes, your cattle, and you're sick. All these afflictions, you must have sinned. And they falsely accused him of sin. They wrongfully assumed his relationship with God. And Job's response in this particular sentence is that they should fear the Lord and that he does have fear of the Lord. Amen. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and depart from evil is understanding. Amen. Let's look at Book of Songs, next book over to the right, Psalms chapter 19, Psalms 19, verse 7. Book of Psalms, chapter 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now, as we continue to read, I recommend that you underline the blank of the Lord. These are six things. Six things. It's listing six things. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the spirit, the soul. The testimony of the Lord is the second thing. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, in verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Those are the six things. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the judgments of the Lord. 
and is that the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They, talking about these six things, they are more desirable than gold. Yes. You see how the word of God confirms itself? You see how the spirit of God confirms himself? How I said earlier that honor is more precious than gold? Well, these other things are more precious than gold, too. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the dripping, drippings of the honeycomb. Now, notice here that the judgments of the Lord, because you may agree with verse 7 about the law of the Lord. You may agree about the testimony of the Lord. You may agree about the precepts of the Lord. You may agree about the commandments of the Lord. But do you agree, question mark, do you agree that the fear of the Lord is clean, good thing, enduring forever, and the judgments, chastisement, whoopings of the Lord are true? They are righteous altogether and more desirable than gold. We should desire discipline. We should desire judgments. In the land. The world is full of wickedness up to high heaven. The stink of man's sins, the stink of the sins and the wickedness and darkness of this earth, not of the earth but of man, has ascended up into heaven. It is not a sweet aroma that God is smelling. That's a nasty, sickening, abominable stink that has risen up to heaven. Is God pleased? Will God bless the people? Will God bless the nations? Will God even bless the church when the church right now is full and covered with spots, wrinkles, and blemishes at the moment? We need purification. We need judgment to come. And even as David did, and other men of the Bible did, we need to start pleading and desiring and praying for judgment to come. Yes, I would like peace. I want peace. But there will not be peace in this world. There will not be peace until the kingdoms of this world are fallen. War must come. Washington, D.C. must fall. Moscow must fall. Beijing, China must fall. Tehran, Iran must fall. Damascus must fall. All the kingdoms and capitals and heads of this world must fall. This kingdom of this world, the devil's kingdoms, must cease. Babylon must fall. Babylon, the great city, must fall. Babylon, mystery, religion must fall. All the denominations of man, all the false churches and false doctrines must fall. Has all God come to an end? 
We cannot live in this misery forever. We need to desire the judgments of the Lord to come, to destroy this wickedness. I cannot stand to walk through the clothing section of Walmart or any other store, Kmart or anywhere. It's filthy. It's gross. It stinks. It's nasty. Can't even walk through, drop, pick out a pair of pants, shirt, or anything. It's filthy. Gross darkness. Skulls and uh, uh, angel wings and everything all over the clothing. Devil's eyes all over the shirts. Grossness. The wickedness and the darkness of this world. The trash needs to be taken out. It's time for God's people to get down on our knees and cry out, not for mercy no more, but for judgment. Amen. That is what we need. It's more desirable than gold, the judgments of the Lord. There is no fear of the Lord today in verse 9. There is no fear of the Lord in the churches. There's no fear of the Lord in the government. There's no fear of the Lord in the military. There's no fear of the Lord in the streets. There's no fear of the Lord in our neighborhoods, in our families. There's no fear of the Lord, and there's no judgment. We need judgment to come. Verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Amen. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins and let them not rule over me. Let not the sins rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's look at... uh, Chapter uh, 111, 111. Songs, chapter 111. Verse 10. Song 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is no wisdom anywhere as I look. I cannot find wisdom in the land today. I cannot find wisdom in the church, in society, in government. I cannot find wisdom. Like Jesus, I'm starting to wonder if God will even find faith on the earth when he comes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We must start if we will have any wisdom at all, if there will be any wisdom at all, it's got to start with the fear of the Lord. And how are we going to have fear of the Lord with teachers like Joel Olstein? How are we going to have fear of the Lord without strong preaching? How are we going to have fear of the Lord If we never rebuke, never offend, never disfellowship, but always 
practice pacifism. Always practice coexist. Lovey, lovey, kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy, peace treaty, diplomats, diplomacy. How are we going to have fear of the Lord? Embracing false doctrines. How are we going to have fear of the Lord? Uh, respecting demonic religions. How are we going to have fear of the Lord? Embracing, condoning, approving of Islam and homosexuality. How are we going to have fear of the Lord? And it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. A good understanding have all that do his commandments. His praise endures forever. There is a theme of keeping the commandments. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but as we continue to go through the scriptures, we'll see the commandments come up again. But as a good understanding, all those who do the commandments, keeping the commandments is related to fear. See, the churches of this world today, a lot of them, do not teach the commandments. Even, uh, let me step on your toes just for a minute, please. Those that worship Billy Graham, that even Billy Graham, the god of uh, religion today, that even he did not teach the commandments of God. What he taught was, all you got to do is repeat this prayer after me. Let me put the words in your mouth, come down to the altar, and then afterwards, go behind the stage and talk to the Jehovah Witnesses, and talk to the Mormons, and talk to the Freemasons, and talk to all the other uh, false religions and demonic workers that are waiting for you backstage who would tell you because you said that one prayer that you are now saved. You don't have to keep the commandments. You don't have to get baptized. I'm telling you the truth. Do your research. Why does the whole world love that man when the Bible says that the world will love their own and that you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake? The commandments is part of fearing the Lord and there is fear connected with keeping the commandments because First and primarily, we keep the commandments because we love God, and the commandments is all about loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. The commandments are based and hung on those two laws, love God and love fellow men. It's all about love, the commandments. But, but, we should have a healthy, reverent fear that if we do not keep the commandments, if we do not love God, if we do not love fellow man, if we transgress against the Lord, if we transgress, transgress against fellow man, that we will suffer the judgment of the Lord. Did you know that? We'll get to that verse in a minute. Bear with me. In fact, Let's turn there now. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. 
Deuteronomy chapter 11, over there, you got Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy comes right after the book of Numbers. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Verse 26. Deuteronomy 11, verse 26. Verse 26 says, See, I am setting before you today, this is God speaking, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. God doesn't always set forth only blessing. He sets forth us a choice. We have free will to choose life or death, blessing or cursing, obedience or disobedience. We have a choice. And he says forth that choice on the right and on the left. A blessing and a curse. You choose which one you want to take on yourself. It's not always the devil that curses you. It's not always somebody else that curses you. We bring it on ourselves. We need to stop glorifying the devil and giving him all the credit. We bring the curse on ourselves. And it is God that curses us because we have cursed ourselves. And we are, we are already condemned, and we condemn ourselves by our transgressions against God because we don't love God enough to keep his commandments. The book of uh, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of John talks about keeping the commandments a whole lot. Those are very important books to read. John, 1 John, 2, and, 2 John, and 3 John. Talk about keeping the commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And if you say you love me and keep not my commandments, then you are a liar. That's what the Bible says. But today, they don't teach the fear of the Lord and they don't teach the commandments. And they don't teach that there's a blessing and a curse. All these prosperity teachers, Joel Osteen and many others, they only talk about blessing, blessing, blessing. But they need to warn you that there is also a curse set before you. And so it says here in verse 27, the blessing, if you, it's not about the devil, it's about your choice. If you listen to the commandments, of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and a curse if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known, Islam, homosexuality. I was in homosexuality for many years. And God delivered me out of it. I do not hide that fact because it is a testimony of the Lord of what he has done for me. It glorifies the Lord 
for me to witness and testify of deliverance and salvation, that God has changed me into a new creature, a new Christ, a new man in Christ Jesus. The old man is gone and the new man has come. But I can testify also that homosexuality worships the same sex as a god. I know that to be a fact because I lived that death style for many years. Homosexual men worship other homosexual men and straight men. They worship the male figure form, the flesh, as God. I know that to be true. Homosexuality is idolatry. It is breaking the first commandment that I shall have no other gods before me. And Islam breaks the same commandment. Hinduism and Buddhism breaks the same commandment. The Jehovah Witnesses breaks the same commandment. The Mormons breaks the same commandment. I'm just laying it out on the line because you've got to know these things. And somebody's got to say it the way it is. Somebody's got to say it the way it is. How are the people going to learn? But the commandments were set forth as a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you love God and obey God and follow God. And if you do not follow God, there's a curse. Even as Saul said, if you follow God's leaders, if you follow God, if you keep the commandments, but a curse if you do not. Look at chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Marriage shall be, if you diligently diligently obey the Lord your God. That word diligent is a powerful word. It's not just following him in a lazy manner or half-heartedly or uh, praying on one knee. No, it's getting down on both knees and praying. We don't want to be a one-knee Tim Tebow who prays standing on the street corner that he may be seen of men. And everybody glorifies and worships Tim Tebow and lifts him up as an idol and as a god because he gets down on one knee in public to be seen as man. Do we not have any discernment in sports as an idol too and a god to our society and to this nation? But if we diligently obey the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments. Because if you break one commandment, you break them all. So we've got to be diligent and careful to keep all his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, as he did Jehoshaphat. And all these blessings will come upon you, even as they gave him gold and silver to Jehoshaphat. Amen. Jehoshaphat is a perfect witness and testimony that this word is true. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. And that's not a promise that everybody will be rich because we can also 
be blessed and overpouring and shaken over and pressed together and shaken over, spiritually blessed. We are not promised physical riches for which we not lay our treasures upon the earth. We are to be content with what we have, not be in the pursuit of money and riches and physical things. Verse 3, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country, and blessed shall be the offspring of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. But look at verse 15. Verse 15. But it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed, cursed shall you be in the city, cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be your offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. And it goes forth. A great list of blessing and cursing is a good uh, chapter to read. Uh, sometime you got a chance to read a whole chapter of Deuteronomy 28. Now let's look at Proverbs 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Don't worry, we'll get over to the New Testament too in a few minutes here. Proverbs chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So this would be the third king, human king, the third human king. We had Saul, then David, then Solomon. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the uh, uh, that naive, to the young, to the youth's knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, figure of speech, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We live in a society today to where the people don't want to be instructed. The people don't want to hear that there are do's and don'ts with God. That there are commandments. That there are not only blessings but curses. People don't want to hear that. They have their own so-called wisdom, which is not wisdom. Amen. That the Bible says that their wisdom is actually foolishness to God. Fools despise true wisdom. Fools despise commandments. They despise instruction and godly wisdom and godly instruction and godly correction. 
Verse 8, hear, my son, your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. Talking about if you're being raised in a godly home, if you're being raised by godly parents, if you're being raised or instructed and taught by a godly pastor, a godly spiritual home, I'm going to give you some scriptures. And I'd like for you to think about some scriptures that you've already read in your life. Where Paul called Timothy son. And so forth. That the pastors are fatherly figures in the church. And the church and the family are counterparts of one another. Even as the man is the head of the woman. So is the pastor, head of the church, that Jesus Christ, the ultimate head and the chief cornerstone, built upon the apostles and the prophets, and all of his individual members, amen, fitting together. But pastors are fatherly figures, even as Paul called Timothy's son, that Paul talked to Timothy and taught Timothy to listen to him and to follow follow his lead. And it says here, verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wealth, wreath to your head, a wreath to your head, and ornaments about your neck. This is spiritually speaking. Even as the mark of the beast in the forehead and the right hand, this wreath is on your head. Is it literal? No. This is symbolically, spiritual speaking. And the mark of the beast is the same. The mark of the beast. If you read about the commandments of God, how in the Bible it says repeatedly in the Bible, it says at least three or four times in the Bible, that the commandments of God are as uh, between your eyes, that would be your forehead, and in your hands. The commandments of God are in your forehead and in your hands, spiritually. The mark of the beast is submitting to the beast, to submitting to the Antichrist, submitting to the son of perdition, his doctrines, his ways, his false religion in your mind. Instead of accepting the commandments of God, instead of being obedient to God, instead of having the fear of the Lord, you are compromising and coexisting with the devil, making a peace treaty with the devil, submitting yourself to the devil. The fact is, all of us submit ourselves to somebody, either to God or to the devil. Even the atheists, even though they don't know that they're doing this, they are worshiping, serving, and submitting themselves to the devil. Everybody on this earth worships a God, whether they think they do or not. We all either worship God or the devil. And if we were worshiping a false religion, then we are worshiping the devil, whether they call him Allah or anything else, whatever kind of word or name they want to throw out there. We are worshiping either God or the devil, one or the other. Amen. It comes to that, a blessing or a curse. 
Amen. Verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait, so forth. Read that on out sometime. Now let's go over here to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11. Verse 3. Isaiah 11, verse 3. This is talking about Jesus. This is a prophecy in the Old Testament that Jesus would come, of course, as a baby first, and then eventually as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it says here in verse 3, And he did, or he will, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision, but why, by, by what his ears hear. But he will, with righteousness, will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. Amen. And he will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. And also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and the faithfulness the belt about his ways. Is Jesus coming back only to bless? No. He's coming back in wrath. He's coming back with an army. He's coming back on the day of the battle of Armageddon. He's coming down to destroy and to cast down and to root up. Amen. And to establish his kingdom both. Amen. He's coming back with both a blessing and a cursing. A blessing for those that keep his commandments and those that love him and have the fear of the Lord. And a curse for those who do not keep his commandments, do not have the fear of the Lord, and do not love him. And if we say that we love him and keep not his commandments, then we are a liar and the truth is not in us. This is Bible. Amen. Read the Bible, please. Read the Bible. Amen. But Jesus judges not by outward appearance only, but with righteous judgment. He judges according to the truth. And we need to do the same. We are to be like him. Amen. We have the mind of Christ. Amen. We are to judge righteous judgment. Look at John 7, verse 24. Book of John, chapter 7, verse 24. And let's look at that verse in the Alpha and Omega uh, translation. You can read it in uh, New American Standard or King James, but I'm going to read it to you out of the Alpha and Omega Bible, John 7. Verse 24. John 7, 24. For those that don't know, the Alpha and Omega Bible 
is a translation based upon the oldest, most complete, most reliable codexes, biblical scrolls that is known to man. It's more reliable, it's more dependable translation, and it's available for free at isawthelightministries.com. isawthelightministries.com, you can get your free copy of the Alpha and Omega Bible. Or you can type in Alpha and Omega Bible on Google, but it's easier to go to I Saw Light Ministries. Now, John 7, verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. It says here in the notes of the Alpha and Omega Bible, it says Matthew 7, verse 1 through 5, does not mean that we should never judge, but rather that we should not judge hypocritically. And it points you to several other verses in the Bible that you can study out sometime. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So we need to be careful, diligent, that we don't jump to conclusion immediately upon appearance or something, but rather we need to take time and think and examine Amen. Now, let's turn to Leviticus 20. Leviticus 20, verse 32. Leviticus 20, verse 32. Leviticus is the third book of the Bible. You get Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 20, verse 32. Well, it ain't no verse 32. <laughs> okay, I'll find it for you real quick. It is chapter 19, verse 32. Chapter 19, verse 32. You should raise up before the gray-headed. That means stand up when a, uh elder person, either elderly in age, which is what it's talking about, but the spiritual principle is respect for elders. So I would say by the Holy Spirit, not by the letter of the law, but by the spirit of the law, that spiritual principle being taught here is respect and honor for elders, regardless of age. If you had a 20-year-old pastor, I think you should stand up when it comes to shake your hand. That when a pastor or an elder or a deacon or just an older man who's not a pastor or even an older woman who's not a pastor or a deacon, that when they come to shake your hand or to greet you or to talk to you or to converse with you or to fellowship with you, stand up for God's sake. We're not taught manners no more. We're not taught honor no more. We're not taught respect no more. Stand up when you're approached by the elders. Have honor, respect, fear the Lord, it says here, and you shall reverent your God. 
I am the Lord. Wow. Now that's something to think about. God directly connects whether or not we honor the elders, directly connects whether or not we honor the elders with whether or not we honor him. You shall raise up before the great head and honor the aged, and you shall reverence your God. I am the Lord. See, all Ten Commandments are connected. If you break one, you break them all. And all Ten Commandments is based on one principle of love, honor, and respect for God and toward one another. And by loving one another, you show your love toward God. Amen. By honoring the elders, we reverence God. We should have fear of the Lord. I'll give you an example. That my grandmother, God bless her soul, that lived to be 94 years old, 93 or 94, that for my entire life, for as far as I can remember, I had a healthy, reverent fear for her. Not that I was scared of her, no, but a healthy, reverent fear. I've loved her very dearly, still do. And always will. But I knew that I better not do certain things and say certain things in her presence because that I would get spit in the eyes with tobacco <laughs> or slapped in the face or really told off or whooped or disciplined in some fashion. Amen. Disciplined. In some fashion. She wouldn't talk it out with me. Now she would tell me why I'm being disciplined. Absolutely. But she wouldn't use diplomacy. She would use judgment. Discipline. It was needed. And she exercised it. Rightfully. At the right time. In the right manner. With love. That I may be raised to be a man of honor and respect toward the elderly, toward our parents, toward our grandparents, toward the police, toward the pastors, toward all people in authority, toward our bosses at work, so forth. All people in authority. We honor them, respect them, and submit ourselves to them as long as they are not the devil, as long as they are not of the devil. As long as they're not the Joel Osteens of the world, the false prophets of the world, the false teachers in Babylon, we don't submit ourselves to the devil, but we do submit ourselves to those that are ordained of the Lord. Amen. We do submit ourselves to Jehoshaphat and the godly men, and to David and to the godly men. And it says, let's turn 
to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, right after Thessalonians, just before Hebrews and Titus. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, do not sharply rebuke an older man but rather appeal to him as a father. Remember I said that the pastors, the deacons, the elders, the spiritual leaders are spiritual fathers to us. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father and to the younger men as brothers and the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, today, people want to think of all the people in the congregation as brothers and sisters. They don't want to think as certain people as fathers and mothers. They want to think of a 90-year-old woman as a sister, and they ought not to do such a thing. The 90-year-old woman is not a sister only, but is a spiritual mother. The 90-year-old man is not a brother only, but also a spiritual father and is worthy of double honor. You honor all your brothers and sisters, but double honor, as the Bible says, and we'll read that too, God willing, double honor to the elders. And the spiritual principle going by the spirit of the law and not by the letter of the law only, this applies also to the true pastors, evangelists, pastors, prophets, and apostles of Jesus Christ, that we should not rebuke a true man of God or a true woman of God who is an elder, who is a leader. Do you rebuke David, do you rebuke Moses? Do you touch his anointed? This is a serious matter. Do you rebuke your own parents? Now, if they're of the devil, yes, it don't matter who they are, what their age is, or their position. Always rebuke the devil. Regardless of age and position, always rebuke the devil. And so, if you've seen me on Facebook rebuking people, it is because I am a elder, a pastor, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and it's my job and my duty, my responsibility to rebuke the devil, regardless of age. But it is not my duty or your duty, either one, 
to be rebuking people who are innocent or to be rebuking God's anointed in an ungodly way even if they are guilty. There's a certain way to approach it in different situations. And every situation is different. Every situation is different. And every situation needs to be handled by how the Holy Spirit leads. I may be much more tremendously long-suffering and patient toward certain people if they are showing that they truly want to serve God and they truly are listening, asking questions, seeking, wanting to learn, willing to learn, willing to hear me out, willing to examine, willing to pray, willing to seek it out, then I would be much more patient, loving, kind, understanding, and long-suffering with such a person. But, whether it's on Facebook, online, email, phone call, or in person, if a person is being uh, presented with the truth, if it's a matter of false doctrine and true doctrine, blessing or cursing, and these people are being presented with the truth, but resisting the truth, counteracting the truth, fighting the truth, resisting the truth, and waging war against the truth, then no, I will not be patient with that. And that was the situation with Pamela Pittman. And the people that was on her wall. Now, in the Bible repeatedly, Paul used people's names. And even John used people's names. Sometimes it is necessary to point out the exact name, the exact person, and the exact situation that you're talking about for the edification of the church, for godly instruction of the church. And so, for edification, and so that there will not be confusion about who I'm talking about. And so that you can understand the best, then I use the exact name and situation that I'm talking about. God has presented a revelation, a very good, a very important revelation that night on Facebook. It was definitely from God. God confirmed it and reconfirmed it right in the presence of the eyes of everybody that was reading that thread that night on Facebook. And Caleb is my witness. That, even though God had revealed and confirmed and reconfirmed, and it was a powerful, powerful, divine manifestation of God at work. A wonderful and beautiful thing. Something to write on the calendar, write down in your journal and never forget. It was wonderful. It was powerful. It was great what God was doing. But 
one after another after another after another, these people were coming against what God was doing. Trampling it underfoot, speaking against it, waging war against it, and mocking it. And God will not be mocked. Amen. And as a representative of the kingdom of God, as a pastor and apostle and prophet of Jesus Christ, it was my job and my duty to rebuke those people because they was resisting everything and coming against and fighting against the word of God. I believe that they were committing blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, the unpardonable sin. I believe they were committing that. I had every right to rebuke them. It was not false judgment. It was not hypocritical judgment. I made the right call. As led by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God swelled up in me, and I became angry as Jesus got angry and overthrew the tables, and even as Saul got angry and cut up the oxen and sent it out to the people. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and I rightfully rebuked the devil and cursed the devil. And God even confirmed that in the days after that. And confirmed it and reconfirmed it and reconfirmed it that I did the right thing. But Pamela turned around after embracing the revelations of God, after seeing what the wicked people were doing, she turned around like a dog biting the hand of her master, biting the hand of the one trying to feed her, and strongly rebuked me because she thought I was doing wrong by rebuking the devil. And she did that publicly. Now, I publicly rebuked the devil because you do always publicly rebuke the devil when the devil is manifesting himself in public. It was in a public forum. Everybody could see it. Lots of people were there. Lots of people were witnesses, many witnesses to this event. And I had every right to publicly rebuke what the devil was doing in public. But she had no right to publicly rebuke me for rebuking the devil. That was totally wrong, and she committed a sin when she did that. Now, I say all this and share all this so that you can learn not to repeat her mistakes, and not to repeat your own mistakes. This is the kind of sermon I do not enjoy giving. This is the kind of sermon, the kind of message, a message of correction. Not a message of hate, a message of godly correction. Godly correction. And this is to be received and recognized as God working. Because that is what it is. God working. Now recently, God gave me a sermon that we should not be paranoid, that we should not wrongfully assume people's motives wrongfully assumed people's motives, and God gave me that sermon for a specific person named Genesis. 
and I saw that it was going over her head. And so I had to privately in email address it that this is you and this is why and this is it and this is all the details. And she, just like Pamela, came against me and bit my hand when I was only trying to help her. When people are receiving godly correction, we should not bite the hand of the messenger. When it is coming from God, and God is trying to chastise us, because the Bible says he chastises those that he loves. How did he do that? How does he do that? The New Testament tells us how he does that. God is not a genie. We always rub in the belly of the uh, vase. God is not a genie. He uses people. He uses his pastors to bring discipline, discipleship, and godly correction. We'll read those in the Bible in a minute. And look over here in verse 17, 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Not just honor, but double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching and so forth. Now, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. One Peter chapter two, verse thirteen. One Peter chapter two, verse thirteen. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Remember that we stand up in the presence of our elders in order to honor God. Out of fear for the Lord, we honor the elders. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right, for blessing and for a curse is talking about, for the punishment and for the praise, for the blessing and the curse. Verse 15, for such is the will of God that by doing right, you may, or keeping the commandments, and by loving men and God, by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, but that don't mean that we should condone, accept, and embrace evil doctrines, evil religions, and demonic manifestations. Because we've got to take all the Bible, not just one verse, we've got to take all the Bible. And the Bible in many places talks about rebuking evil. And it says, love the brotherhood, and fear God, and honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. 
So that means at work, in the church, the police officer, the judge, so on, so on, our leaders, our elders, if they are truly ordained and anointed of God, if they are preaching the truth, if they are truly God's elect, then even when they're wrong, we should have respect and honor for them and submit ourselves to them as long as they are not telling us to transgress against the Lord, as long as they are not telling us to break the commandments of God, as long as they are not leading us in demonic things. So, give you another example of how the devil keeps attacking me. Is Brother Anthony how he would brag about that this was not a social club. But as soon as he discovered that not only was it not a social club for others, but it's not a social club for him, then it became a different matter. It was no longer, no longer something to brag about, no longer something to think good of, because he thought, that it was a social club for him. And he thought I was being unreasonable and over-controlling and unfair and wrong. Well, according to the Bible, even if I was making a wrong decision, even if I were being over-controlling and unreasonable, he should have submitted himself, kept his mouth shut, And worked it out with the Lord without bringing it to me first. As long as I am not leading the people in sin, as long as I'm not leading the people in false doctrine, in transgression against the Lord, in darkness, in demonic things, in false doctrine, so forth and so forth, as long as I'm not leading the sheep astray, then such trivia matters about uh, privacy issues of addresses and phone numbers, such trivia matter. He should have kept his mouth shut. Amen. There's a time to speak, there's a time to correct, and there's a time to keep silent. Amen. Look at Numbers chapter 12. Go back to the book of Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Back in the Old Testament, uh, what, about the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers 12, verse 1. Numbers 12, verse 1. There's no fear of the Lord. No fear of the Lord in today's Western society. 
And so that is the topic of today's sermon, is that the fear of the Lord results in the reverent honor and respect and reverent fear of the elders of God. The fear of the Lord should always result and bear forth the fruit of reverent fear for his anointed, for his apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I'm not teaching that you should be scared of me. I'm not standing here preaching this today out of pride or being over-controlling or whipping the congregation or whipping the sheep. But I am addressing this issue today because I see it as a need a need for the people of the church, of the land. The people in our society today need to learn honor, respect, and reverent, healthy fear of the Lord and of his anointed. It's a needful thing that is be taught. It is much needed. I deliver this message out of love for the elect, out of love for the body of Christ, that we be warned and with godly correction that we learn from our mistakes, not repeat our mistakes, and learn why. Why? And in chapter 12, number 12, verse 1, it says, Then Miriam, which was Moses' sister, and Aaron, his brother, spoke against Moses, because of the Christianite woman whom he had married. Because of Moses' wife, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Now Moses was their brother. Physically and spiritually, Moses was their brother. But Moses was also the pastor, the leader, the prophet, the apostle, God's anointed of that generation. And people today think that they should, that everything should be in the context of pastors being brothers and friends. You get to talking with people on Facebook, over the matter of weeks and months. You develop friendships. You talk with them over the phone, email, text message, whatever. You become friends. You become close. But people need to understand that even though I want friends and I desire friends and I need friends, even though all that, I am first and foremost, not your brother, not your friend, but the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, and teacher of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And obeying God and following God, walking in his steps and exercising his authority, his commandments, and what he leads me in must come first even if it offends you. 
I want to be friends. I want to be brothers. I am your friend. I am your brother. But first and foremost, God comes first. And so, when I am in this position, if it comes between compromising with wisdom, compromising with God's will, and saying, oh, you're my brother, I'll let you do this, I'll let you do that, I'll let you get away with it, I'll talk it out in peace, we'll sign a peace treaty, we'll, we'll use diplomacy, because I love you as my brother and as my friend. Well, there's a time for that, but there's also a time that the Spirit of the Lord says, exercise authority. And obedience to his spirit, his leadership, and what God wants must come first. I'm not in this to see how many friends I can get. I'm not in this to build a social club. I'm not in this to see how many followers I can get or how many Facebook, how many Facebook friends that I can have, how, how large I can get the number or how huge I can get the congregation. We have too many of those old Joel, Joel Osteen's, Rick Warren's, and uh, Oprah Winfrey's and all those demonic leaders out there who are building mega churches and have mega followings based on do not offend always compromising with the devil, be my friend, love me, kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy. We've got enough of that. We need somebody who will stand up and say it the way it is and will follow the leader, leadership of the Lord. Amen. And that puts me in a difficult situation. It really does. Because I want to be your friend and your brother. But I must always, always remember my position of authority. Even as, what was his name in the Bible? Eli, that he was a priest of the temple. And his own sons were sinning. His own flesh and blood children was sinning and committing adultery and abominations in the temple of God. And he would not use enough authority to get them, bring them down in their place. He would not. I think he spoke to them, I think, I'm not for sure. But he would not exercise enough authority because he loves his sons more than God. We should not love our children, our spouses, our parents, our grandparents, our brothers, our sisters, our family, our friends, our neighbors, houses, lands, money, jobs, careers, houses, sports, all these other gods, more than God himself. God has to come first, always, because he loved us first and created us, chose us, made us. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. God must come first. And Eli was judged and was killed by God 
because he did not exercise the power and authority of his position, that he was the priest of the temple, and because that he uh, was too weak in his position and would not discipline his own family, that God killed Eli. So I have to be careful. That does put me in a difficult position. I hope that you understand. In Numbers 12, verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against their brother Moses, who was their leader. Spoke against Moses because of the Christianite woman, his wife, whom he had married, when he married the Christianite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Amen. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. But Marian and Aaron were basically accusing Moses of pride. Amen. They were accusing Moses of pride. Even though the opposite was true, that he was the most humble man upon the earth. And they were accusing him of being over-authoritative and over-controlling. They were falsely accusing Moses of being over-controlling. God speaks to us just like he speaks to you, was their attitude. Who, who made you leader? Who made you boss? Well, God did. In verse 4, suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out of the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. And the Lord came down on a pillow of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. And when they had both come forth, he said, God said, Hear now my words. If, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. But not so. But my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, not in hidden sands, it should say. Hidden sands. And he beholds the form of the Lord. He sees God. And why then were you not afraid? God says to Miriam and Aaron, Moses is my prophet. Moses is my anointed. Moses is my chosen. So why do you not fear? Why do you not fear to speak against my servant, against Moses? People say they fear God. But how can we say we fear God and still speak against his anointed? The Bible says, touch not my anointed. Now let's go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Acts 7. But I'll give you an example. That years ago, I used to go to the Babylonian churches. I used to go to the Baptist church. I went to the Baptist church for a whole year. I went to different Pentecostal churches. Uh, 
I went to Assembly of God Church. I went to Holiness Church of God, Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee denomination. I went to different religious churches over the years. Even when I knew about the seventh day, Christmas, Easter, the holidays, even when I knew a lot of truth. I mean, where could I go? Where could I go? There was no churches preaching 100% of the truth. Where could I go? And I was still young in the Lord, still growing up in the Lord, still learning, learning my lessons, making mistakes, still learning. None of us are perfect, even to this very day. I'm still not perfect. I'm still learning, still growing in understanding, in knowledge, and in the correction of the Lord where he corrects me. The Lord corrects me. Yes, he does. Amen. But I used to go to those Babylonian churches, and on occasion, I would hear or see certain things. But you know what? I could never, ever rebuke one of those pastors because I had a reverent, healthy fear of the elders, of the deacons, of the pastors, even in Babylon. I had respect and honor for my elders because I knew I was still growing, I was still childing God. How dare I speak out evil against these men and women who I saw God working in them even though that day was in Babylon because God does have some of his people in Babylon. The Bible says so. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. He has his people in Babylon and they will eventually come out, praise God, if they are truly his then they will eventually come out. So who was I? Who was I to touch his anointed when I knew that God was using these people and teaching me and I had still more to learn? And when I knew that these people were living much more righteous and godly than me, even though I was keeping the seventh day, and they were not, but they were still more righteous than me, absolutely true. They were still more righteous than me because I still had a lot of sin in my life. So I might have been keeping the seventh day, and they were not. But at least they were being faithful to some other commandments that I was not. So there was transgression on some, I was transgression on some. They were keeping some, I was keeping some. Both of us were receiving curses upon ourselves when we transgressed any of the law. But they still was living a more holy life than I. So how dare I stand up and rebuke an elder hypocritically the way I was living. I knew that I had to wait and get my life in order first before I had any right to exercise authority or rebuke upon other elders. I had to get my own life right first. Yes, we are to judge and rebuke when necessary. 
but we better get our own lives straightened up first. Then we can see clearly to remove the um, moat out of our brother's eye. Get the beam out of our own eye, then we can see clearly to remove the moat or whatever it's called in, the, in our brother's eye. In Acts 7, verse 35, Acts 7, verse 35, it says, This Moses whom they disowned, this is uh, Luke writing the book of Acts. Luke wrote the book of Acts. And Luke says, This Moses whom they disowned, saying, Who made you ruler and a judge? Is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up a prophet like me from your brethren. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. This word angel should be translated manifestation, manifestation of God. God was not, I mean, uh, Moses was not talking to an angel. God was, I mean, Moses was talking to God himself. Instead of saying angel, it should be translated manifestation, a manifestation of God. Let me make that note in my Bible. Manifestation. Who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai? Who was with our fathers? And he received uh, living oracles, words, the word of God, the living word of God to pass on to you. Our fathers, our spiritual fathers, our forefathers were unwilling to be obedient to Moses, to him. They were unwilling to submit themselves to Moses. They were unwilling to, obedient, to be obedient to him. But, uh, uh, replicated, I can't say that word, him, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. Now, that's Acts 7. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3, the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. We'll read this whole chapter, God willing. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. But realize this. Realize this. See, we need to realize this. People don't realize this. These words are here in the Bible for a reason. We need to realize this. People don't. People don't comprehend this. If they comprehended this, they would be crying out for judgment and judgment and repentance in the land rather than crying out for mercy and grace. They would be crying out for judgment in the land if people really comprehended and realized this. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, that was the problem with those who were resisting Moses. Lovers of money, we see that everywhere. Boastful, 
arrogant, revelers, or revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, amen, ungrateful, amen, Lisa, God keeps showing us that a major problem in the land is that people are not grateful. People are not grateful. People are not grateful for the instruction of the Lord. People are not grateful for what God is doing. They will throw it away in a second's notice. They will, God, they will pray for something to come from God. God will give it to them, and then they will throw it in the trash. Throw it in the trash. Everything that God has done. Anthony and Crystal, if you're listening at any time, if you ever listen to this broadcast, now or in the future, you ought to come running back here because you know what God has done in this ministry. Are you not grateful for what God has done? Jennifer, you ought to come running back. Pamela Pittman, you ought to start running back. Joshua and Jenny, you ought to start running back to the Lord. People are not grateful for what God has done. They throw it in the trash, trample it underfoot as it was nothing. Amen. Unholy, verse 3. Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous. This is the generation we live in. It is gross. It is gross, the generation we live in. Treacherous, Reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they denied its power. You know what that means? They have an appearance of righteousness, a form of appearance of godliness, of holiness, of righteousness. They claim to be saved. They claim to be saved. But they deny its power. They deny, they deny its authority. They deny the power and the authority of God. These are those people that resist his anointed. These are those people that resist speaking in tongues. These are these people that resist... Uh, uh, the, the, the power of God to heal, to bless, to curse, to discipline, and so forth. They deny the power of God. It says here, make a peace treaty, talk it out? No. It says, avoid such men as these. You know what avoid such men as these means? It means 
Unfriend them from Facebook and block them from Facebook. Do not answer the phone call. Do not answer the door. Do not answer the email. Block them and resist them. But tell them why first so they know why. But they are to be disfellowship and shunned because they are the workers of the devil. Amen. Now again, I say that there is a time to be long-suffering, patient, and talk it out. If it is people who are sincerely listening, asking questions, seeking, desiring to serve the Lord, listening, willing to listen to the truth, and willing to accept the truth. But if they are not, if they are not willing to listen, if they are not willing to accept the truth, then we are to shake the dust off our feet, remove our blessing, Matthew says, remove our blessing from that house and shake the dust off our feet. And it says in different words that they should be cursed. Amen. There is a time for disfellowship. But we live in a generation today where the church and people on Facebook and society, they say that if you unfriend anybody on Facebook, then you are being unruly, that you're being over-controlling, that you're being unloving. But the truth is, you're obeying God. We are to not make a peace treaty with the devil. We do not talk it out with the devil. We, we, we rebuke the devil and close the door and lock it. Why stand there and fight and fuss back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with the devil? That is of no profit to try to talk it out with the devil. If you have the Holy Spirit, and especially if you are mature in the Holy Spirit, then you should be able to discern through the Holy Spirit whether it's worth talking out with them or not. So that's why you may see me talking it out with some people and other people shutting the door in their face, slamming the door in their face with a strong rebuke immediately. Immediately. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of discernment, of the difference between somebody that will not listen and somebody that will listen. Amen. Every situation is different. And people need to allow God's people, God's pastors, to do what God is leading them to do. The last thing that your pastor needs is for you to approach him and say, you're not handling this right. Let him do the work that he's called to do. Let him do what he's supposed to do. Let him follow the guidance and direction of the Lord. Your pastors have enough resistance. I have people resisting me left and right, left and right, left and right, left and right. 
God has called me, and I'm not saying this out of pride. I'm just trying to help you understand. God has called me to be on the front lines of the war, front lines of the war. That means I am receiving all the fiery darts of the devil on a daily basis, daily, every day. If you think that you are attacked once a week, once a month, once a year, I am being attacked constantly. We're all being attacked constantly, but I'm being attacked constantly on a different level because God has called me to uh, expose the son of perdition, the one that they call the Antichrist, as the president of Syria. And people will laugh at that, mock at that, but I am the foremost leader worldwide, worldwide, of exposing the son of perdition for who he is, what he is, and warning the masses against him. I am on the front lines of battle against the Antichrist. That is serious. And I can guarantee you that the war against me and this ministry is extremely intense. Extremely intense. And God told me in 2008 that I am a general. God called me a general. That means that I am on the front lines of battle, that I am a military leader, that I am a leader of war in the spiritual realm. The weapons of my warfare are not carnal. I do not teach or use guns, bombs, or ammunitions. I have no use for such things. The weapons of my warfare is the sword of God, my voice. The Bible even says in the book of Revelation that the two witnesses who will stand in Jerusalem, that if anybody should come against them, harm them, that fire will come out of their mouth and consume those people. And that is not literal that is symbolic for the word of God. That the two witnesses will speak harshly against people, rebuke people, and people will drop dead at the harsh rebuke out of the mouth of the two witnesses in the end times in Jerusalem. So why do people like Pamela Pittman say that Jesus never talked to anybody in a harsh manner? Has she not read the Bible over and over and over and over and over? It says that Jesus called them hypocrites to their face, vipers, snakes, serpents, dogs. And even John the Baptist did. There is time for strong rebuke, and there is time for patience, kindness, and tenderness, a time for everything under the sun. Time for war and a time for peace. But I'm telling you that in this day and in this time, we are in a war. This is not peace time. This is not peace time. This is war. And we need to realize, verse 1, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, that the days are evil. 
that the time is evil. You've got all this wickedness, all this sin, all this abomination. It is time that we stop asking for blessing and start asking for judgment and war. We need World War III. We need the Great Tribulation. We need the wrath of God to come upon this wicked and perverse generation. Because the Bible says that judgment, that righteousness will come when judgment is in the land. That righteousness will come when judgment is in the land. I want to find that verse for you real quick. That's important that you read that. Look at... Let uh, me look real quick. Make sure this is the right, right verse. Yeah, Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, verse 9. Isaiah 26, verse 9. At night, my soul longs for you. Does our soul long for God at night? Isaiah 26, verse 9. Does our soul long for God? Amen. If our soul longs for God, then we should not seek uh, any longer the peace of this land. At one time, it was the right thing to do to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. At one time, it was the right thing to do to pray for the peace and blessing of God upon this nation. But it's no longer time for that. Our prayers need to transition from mercy, grace, and blessing to the judgment to come. If our soul is longing for the Lord, then we need need Him to come. And for that to happen, the kingdoms of this world must fall. The United States must fall. All the nations of the world must come to an end. It's no longer time to be patriotic. It's no longer time to wave the flag of the United States. But rather it's time to realize that this present world is not our home, that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world, that now we seek a land to come, a kingdom not made with human hands. We seek the kingdom of God to come. But for the kingdom of God to come, the kingdoms of this world must come to an end. And it says here, At night my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. For when the earth experiences your judgments, the inhabitants of the world Learn righteousness. That is huge. That's really something to think about. You ought to lay your Bible out there, write that verse, and highlight it with a yellow marker, underline it, whatever you want to do, circle it, whatever you want to do, copy it onto another piece of paper, print it out with, with, with print that's 12 inches tall. 
and put it on your wall because this is huge. For when the earth experiences your judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If we want people to learn righteousness, judgment must come. It's good to send out the Bible. It's good to do like Jehoshaphat did and send people out with the Bible. That's why it said that they did. Jehoshaphat sent people out teaching people the law of God, teaching people about God, teaching people his precepts, his commandments, his testimonies. But there comes a time that when everybody has resisted that, I have sent Bibles to Nigeria. I'm sending Bibles to the Philippines. I have sent Bibles to Greece. I have sent Bibles across the United States. I have fed the poor, helped the medically needed. I'm not saying any of this out of pride. But what I'm saying is, I have reached out. And what have I received in return? What has God received in return? It's not about me, it's about God. What has God received in return for all the work of the kingdom and everything that God has done? Nothing but wrongful rebuke, wrongful accusations, wrongful accusations, wrongful rebuke, and slander. I tell you from where I'm standing, the outlook looks pretty bleak to me. But I know what is written in the scriptures that he is going to gather his people together in the end times. And I know what God showed me in 2008, that I, that I know God is faithful, that what he has proclaimed that he will fulfill, that he is faithful to do what he has said he would do. There is a time that he is going to bring his people together. And we will have the congregation that he has ordained. Amen. And he will purify the church. And he will come back for a church without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. But right now, we're a long ways off from that. Right now, the church is nothing but covered in wrinkles, spots, and blemishes. So we need a judgment to come. For the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness when judgment is in the land. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says here in 2 Timothy 3, verse 6. 2 Timothy 3, verse 6. For among them are those who enter into households and uh, capitate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 7, let's read that again. 
always learning. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of people like this. This is very common today. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge, knowledge of the truth. Do you know what the truth is or not? Make up your mind. Do you know the truth or not? Make up your mind. Stop being driven like a a balloon in the wind. Be stable. Be anchored in the rock. Stop being shaken so easily. Stop being uh, tossed back and forth. Verse 8. Just as Janus and Jabriz opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make farther progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. Now you followed my teaching. This is Paul writing. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. And that became the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. This was written by Paul as a letter to Timothy. And Paul is saying to Timothy in verse 10, Now you followed my teaching. Yes, Paul was a spiritual father to Timothy. Timothy was a younger man and was younger in the Lord, but Timothy was a pastor. He was called and ordained by God, and, and Timothy looked up to Paul as his mentor, as his leader. Timothy was pretty much in the position of a pastor where Paul was in the position of a district manager, an apostle. And so Paul is teaching Timothy how to lead his congregation, what to be careful of, to be careful about people who would come in and corrupt the congregation. So it says in verse 10, that you followed my teaching. Timothy followed the teaching of Paul. And conduct, and purpose, and faith, and patience, love, and perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, which is a town in Syria, and at Corian, and at Lystra, and what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Amen. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Because we live in a wicked and perverse generation where the people of the land do not love righteousness and have no respect and no fear of the Lord. They have no fear of God, therefore they have no fear of of his pastors, and therefore the pastors will be persecuted. They have no fear of the elect, of the chosen, of the church, of elders, of old women. Of You know, people used to, in the old days, men were the only ones that cursed. Back, so, I don't know, 20s or so. And back in the old days, only the men would curse, no women. Women would not curse. They were ladylike. Ladylike. 
and even the men who did curse, they would not curse in front of any girls or in front of any women or in front of any children or in front of any older men or in front of pastors or ministers or Christians. Men who did curse used to curse only in the prophecy of their own home, and that was it. But nowadays, and that was bad enough, but at least they had respect toward people in public. They had respect toward women and children and elders and Christians. But these days, both men and women of all ages, everywhere, curse everywhere in public, in front of children, in front of elderly people, in front of Christians, in front of women, in front of elders, in front of anybody and everybody, out loud, with no respect or regard to who is listening to their vulgar language. Such a wicked and perverse generation that we are living in. No fear of the Lord and no fear or reverent respect for anybody or anything in this perverse and wicked generation. Amen. Verse 13, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Do you think we should talk it out with these people? Do you think we should use diplomacy? Do you think we need to sign a peace treaty with these wicked people? No. With these people, we shut the door. We disfellowship, we unfriend, we block, but we better make for sure that our accusation and our judgment against them is true. Amen. We better make for sure that our accusation or judgment against them is true. Amen. Verse 14. You, however, continue. He's saying to Timothy, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. In other words, Timothy, I've taught you and I know you followed my teaching, but ultimately, this comes from God. Ultimately, the things I've taught you, Timothy, is not my own words, but the words of God. You honor me and you respect me because you honor and respect God. You have accepted my teachings and my doctrines because you have accepted God. Amen. It says, knowing from whom you have learned them referring to God. Verse 15, that you from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which was the Greek Citudian. The Greek Citudian is the Bible that the people had in that day and in that time. And Timothy learned from childhood the sacred writings of the Greek Citudian, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He was using the Old Testament in order to learn about Jesus Christ. But yet today, in our modern society, you teach them the truth from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, both, 
and they want to deny and reject and throw away in the trash every verse that you give them from the Old Testament. No fear of the Lord. No honor and respect for his word. But Paul and Timothy, that's the only Bible they had was the Old Testament. And yet they were new covenant Christians. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. What scripture existed? In that day and time, the only scripture that existed was the Old Testament. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. The books of the New Testament was not yet considered scripture. It's talking about the Old Testament. All the Old Testament, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, but also for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, referring to mankind, both men and women, that the man of God may be advocate, equipped for every good work. Amen. Praise God. Now let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I know that I am preaching all day. (laughs) Praise God. We need Ephesians 4. We need in this day and time to preach to midnight, to 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning. We need instruction and teaching today. But in our modern Western society, they cannot sit down just for two hours, three hours, and they're already wanting to rush out the door to go home and watch football or go fishing or whatever. But they don't want to sit there in the presence of the Lord and hear the instruction of God. And what they ought to do after services is over, instead of being the first person out the door, they ought to be the last person to leave. They ought to, we should, all of us should, stay after services and have a meal together, even as they did in the Bible, says that they were breaking bread together daily. That's not talking about taking communion. People twist that and distort it. It's not talking about taking communion. The only time they took communion in the Bible is only on the day of Pentecost. Every time you read it in the Bible, it was only on the day of Pentecost that they took communion. But they were breaking bread, meaning talking about having a meal. That was the terminology of the day, of having a meal. They were breaking bread together daily. We need to have meals together daily. We need to come together as a congregation and be a family of fathers, mothers, and brothers, and sisters, sons, and daughters. We need to be a congregation and a family, even as the church is the perfect picture of the family household. Amen. And the family household is led by the head of the house. The man should be, if he's a godly man, if he is a godly man, he needs to be the head of that house exercising authority over the wife and the children. That is biblical. 
But today we have feminism, ultra-feminism, of where the Jezebel spirit is ruling the homes, society, and even the church. People have gotten away from the biblical structure of family and church. Ephesians 4, verse 11, tells us that there are a structure for the church. Verse 11, he gave some, Ephesians 4, verse 11, he gave some, meaning ordained some people, as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, this is New Testament, Ephesians. Why are there so many people out there today who are against anybody being an apostle or being a prophet? They're not against evangelists. That's in the list here, evangelists. They're not against pastors. They're not against teachers so much, but now people are even against teachers and pastors and evangelists. Now people, now there's a growing multitude of people that don't even believe that you should even have a pastor. The wickedness of this world is going from bad to worse. Used to, they would only resist the office of apostle and prophet. And they were saying, many, many people were saying and teaching and still doing more and more. Every month there's more and more people saying that there's no such thing as apostle and prophet in this day and time, that that was done away with. Insanity. Insanity. You, that is not in the Bible. It is not in the Scriptures that these things were done away with. This is New Covenant, New Testament church structure. None of these were done away with. If I used to, they would say the apostles and prophets were done away with, but we still have evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That was a very hypocritical statement to say that two of them were done away with, but three of them were not. But now they say all five were done away with. It's going from bad to worse. You start out with one false doctrine, and it multiplies, and it grows worse and worse and worse. And that is why that the people that are in these offices, these are offices of administrations. These are offices of administration. Just like in the business that you have a general manager, a district manager, a general manager, a first assistant manager, a second assistant manager, a shift manager, a crew leader. You have offices of administration. And if you do not have such a thing, then there is chaos. We shall not rule or lead or run our businesses nor our church, the church of God, by voting. No, we should not run the church with deploy with uh, uh, democracy. What y'all want to do? Let's take a vote. No, the church is a theocracy. That Jesus is in control. That Jesus is the head of the church. And then, after that, is the apostles prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now let's go to 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 
verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 you therefore Timothy my son be strong so that's a spiritual son this is this is not flesh and blood but a spiritual son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. We are in a war. We are an army. And God is enlisting uh, us into his army as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes uh, as with an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Amen. Let's go to, let's see. Let's go to um, Luke 17. Luke 17. Now this is a verse that you never heard read in any church and you never will. Because it goes completely contrary to what they teach you and what you have learned. The Bible is completely contrary to what they're teaching in the churches of man. So you'll never hear this talk in the churches of man because it's Bible. Luke 17, verse 3. Luke 17, verse 3. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. And if your brother sins, or King James says, offends you, it says here, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he repents, forgive him. Two things here. One, The response is rebuke. There is a time for rebuke. And rebuke is harsher than just talking it out. There is a time for harsh language. Not all the time, but there's a time for it. And, second thing, it doesn't say to forgive no matter what. The churches of man, society, we Christians, Christians who are ignorant of the scriptures, a pacifism society teaches you that you should forgive 
ever a person, no matter what. No exceptions. They teach you you should always forgive every person, every situation, every situation, no matter what. Forgive everybody for everything. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus don't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't forgive everybody for everything regardless of whether or not you repent. He doesn't do that. He only forgives you only if you repent. Amen? Only if you confess your sin and change your way. Turn from your sin. Turn around. That's what the word repent means. It's change direction. Turn around. Stop doing wrong and start doing right. It's more than just saying, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. That's just words, empty words. You can say you're sorry till you're blue in the face. That doesn't mean that you repent. Repent means stop doing wrong and start doing right. Change direction. Change your way. That is repentance. And it says, if he repents, if he changes direction, if he changes his ways, forgive him. So there's a condition there. And that is what Jesus does. He forgives us only if we are willing to repent. Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized. I don't think it's right to baptize people when they are not repentant. If they're just going to keep on, keep on, keep on doing the same thing, acting the same way, living in the world, the baptism is useless. Useless. Just a waste of time and energy. People need to be baptized only if they have made up their mind. They have made up their mind. This is the day that this baptism means that my whole life is going to change. It's a serious, serious, serious commitment. And if you don't approach it in that manner, then the baptism is in vain. It doesn't matter if you got baptized and kept the seventh day and all the holy days. You still won't make it in the resurrection, first resurrection. You still won't be turned to spirit. You still won't go to heaven. You still won't be the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. You still won't inherit eternal life, even if you kept all ten commandments. Even if you, if you kept 300, 600 in some commandments. It's not about how many letter of the law you keep. It's not, about, it's not about being a Pharisee who kept the letter of the law but not the spirit of the law. It's not about that. It's about how much do you love God? How much do you love God? And if we will really and truly love him, then we are willing to give up anything and anyone, anything, and anyone for him, anything and anyone for him. 
and we will be obedient. We will respect, honor, and fear the Lord if we love him. Amen. How can we say that I love my grandmother and respect her and honor her if I speak back to her, if I am respectful, disrespectful toward her, if I transgress against her, if I do her wrong, how can I say that I love my grandmother? If we love God, we will be respectful, have a reverent fear for him, and be obedient to him. Amen. But Jesus does not forgive unless we repent. Does God forgive more? I mean, uh, do we? Do we forgive more than God? See, society and the church wants you to think that you are more forgiven than God is. They want you to think that you should forgive no matter what. God doesn't do that. Do we really forgive more and easier and better and more? And we forgive more than God does? We forgive people even when God don't forgive? Does that make sense? But that's exactly what the churches of the world are teaching you. And that's why we must come out of the churches of the world because the pastors of the world do not know the Bible. They're ignorant of the Bible. They don't know the Bible. They don't understand the Bible. Amen. Only a couple more verses left. Let's go to Titus chapter 2. And that's right after uh, Timothy. Right after Timothy. Let's go to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. You got 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and um, then you've got Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 15. Titus 2, verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. So, let's see here. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to Titus. And Paul tells Titus, the Apostle Paul was basically a district manager. That is what an apostle is. See, people don't even know what apostle means. There's a lot of people all over Facebook calling themselves apostles, but they're not. There is such a thing as apostle. That's very clear in the scriptures. But an apostle, a true apostle, is basically a district manager, a person, a man. It's always a man because it is the highest 
level of office of administration in the church of mankind. First, you've got Jesus Christ as the head of the church. Then you've got apostles. Then you've got prophets. Then you've got evangelists. Then you've got pastor. Then you've got teacher, which is deacons and deaconess. And so that is the uh, uh, line of command, chain of command, the structure for the New Covenant Church. And uh, Paul was an apostle, or overseer of the district of the church over several pastors. So he's writing one of the pastors. He's writing Titus. And he says, these things speak and exhort. He's telling Titus what to do. These things speak and exhort and reprove with authority. That means Paul is telling Titus, even as he told Timothy, use authority. Don't be a weakling. We are soldiers. We are in the military. We are in a war. And you've got to use authority if you are in the offices of administration. What good is a uh, manager at McDonald's if the manager will not exercise authority to hire, to fire, to promote, to unpromote, to discipline, to give direction, to give instruction, to give correction? What good is a manager at any kind of business if they will not exercise authority? But yet, people want to befriend the managers. People want to befriend the managers, and they do become buddy-buddy with the managers, and they think they're friends, and they go out on town together, and they go out together, and they be friends. And then the very moment that the manager has to use administrative decision with their friend, the employee, the friendship is broken. Is that right? It ought not be because uh, the employee ought to recognize that, yeah, you might be friends, but the manager has a job to do. The manager has a job to do, and that job must get done. Amen. I want to be friends, but my job comes first. My responsibility comes first. Above all, amen. And it says here, let no one disregard you. Paul is telling Titus, don't let anyone, no one, don't let anyone disrespect your authority. Amen. That may sound over-controlling, but the fact is, we are in the military, and there must be a sergeant, and there must be privates. And that's just the fact that God established the kingdom in this way. The kingdom is a government. 
with a military. We are the military. We are the soldiers of God. We are the army of God that will come back with Jesus Christ down to this earth riding white horses. And we will destroy the wicked. We will wage war upon this earth when we come back. We need to get a little bit of a military mindset to us. Actually, a lot of a military mindset to us. Again, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. Our weapon of our warfare is words, rebuke, reproof, the word of God, the scriptures, prayer, fasting, so forth. We have weapons at our disposal. We have weapons to use. We need to put on the whole armor of God. We need to exercise authority. We need to learn. Not, pay, not make peace treaties with the devil. There is a time for rebuke, strong rebuke, harsh words, even as Jesus used many harsh words. Jesus exercised authority, and the Bible says that they were astonished at his authority. Amen. One more place. Hebrews 13. That's over there, just a few pages to the right. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Verse 17. This is the last chapter of Hebrews. Last chapter of Hebrews, chapter 13. Verse 17. Verse 17. It says... Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch. That's a military term. Keep watch over your souls as those who would give an account. That's a military term. Keep watch. Talking about a man who stands in a high tire over the city, over the village, a lookout tire. Uh, who is watching around like a shepherd standing on the hill over the sheep, overlooking, overseeing the sheep, overlooking the town, the village, watching for wolves, watching for invaders, watching for dangers that are approaching from a distance. These are your leaders, are looking, from a high tire of leadership, of protection. Your leaders must blow the trumpet. Your leaders must blow the trumpet to sound the alarm. And those people that are in that tire, not only will they blow the trumpet, but they will lift up their bow and arrow and start shooting. They will go from a warning they will go from a warning to actually using the bow and arrows once, once the danger uh, has approached the wall. Amen. They keep watch over your souls for those who will give an account. 
I'm going to have to give account. I'm going to have to stand before Jesus Christ one of these days. And I'm going to have to give an account. Did you warn the people of approaching danger? Did you warn the people of wolves in sheep's clothing? Did you warn the people about Joel Olstein, Oprah Winfrey, Rick Warren? Did you warn the people about Billy Graham? Did you warn the people about the Jehovah Witnesses? Did you warn the people about the pagan white names? Did you warn the people about the son of perdition? Did you warn the people about World War III? Did you warn the people about all these different things? Did you warn the people about false doctrine? Did you warn the people? And did you, after you laid down the trumpet, did you take up the bow and arrow spiritually? Did you take up the sword of God? Did you take up and use strong rebuke when necessary? Did you fight the fight? As Paul said, he has fought the fight. Or did you just, just, make peace treaties and coexist and get along and not offend. I'm going to have to be held accountable. Was I willing to rebuke my own children? Was I willing to rebuke my own family, my own brothers, my own sisters? Was I willing to exercise the authority as a district manager? Or was I a weakling and not fulfill my responsibility? Did I put brotherhood first? Was it a social club? Was I really just running a social club? Did I fulfill my responsibility? Was I worried about just getting as many people as I could into the congregation and compromise with everything to achieve that goal? I'm not willing to compromise with the devil. Amen. Well, that's what God has laid on my heart. I sincerely hope that you don't take offense. I have delivered this message because it is the message that was burning in my heart. It is the message that I firmly believe was the will of God to help all those that listen, all those that are willing to hear instruction and receive godly correction, to give them a right direction on this path that we're on in this time of war. In this time of war, we don't need to be going the wrong direction. In this time of war, in this day and time that we're living in, We ain't got time to get on a wrong path. Amen. Be diligent in your walk with the Lord. Diligent to serve God. Serve Him with fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. is very much needed in this day and in this time. Thank you for listening. I do want to let you know an update on something that I had 
talked about uh, a couple of months ago or so that I talked about that there were some scriptures in the Bible that the manner of talking in the book of Revelation and I believe Ezekiel and other, uh, yeah, Ezekiel and Revelation and uh, some other places in the Bible, uh, the manner of talking is as if that Jesus may, might come on the day of atonement one year. I have never at any time said, never at any time, you can go back and listen to it, uh, and through the writings. I have never at any time said that Jesus will absolutely come back on the day of atonement of any year. I have never said that. I have only said that it looks like in Scripture that it indicates that that's a very strong possibility that that could happen, that he would come back on the Day of Atonement of whatever year, but that we must have 1,335 days from the abomination of desolation until the day that he comes. And for the very first possible Day of Atonement, if he was to come back on a Day of Atonement, the very first possible Day of Atonement, considering that we must have 1,335 days, would be the Day of Atonement in October of 2019. And I said that he could come Day of Atonement of 2020 or 2021. Go back and listen, that's what I said. Or any other year. So now we have passed uh, so many days since I was talking about that. So now if we, if the abomination of desolation was to happen today, which uh, is probably not going to happen today, I'm not saying that it could happen today. I'm just saying, what is? If it was to happen today, the abomination of desolation, which I don't believe it will. If it was to happen today and we count 1,335 days that we must have according to the Bible until the return of Jesus Christ, then that would put the return of Jesus. If the abomination of desolation was to happen today, it would put the return of Jesus uh, to November, the middle of November of 2019. The middle of November 2019. And what that does, that puts the date of his return past all the holy days of 2019. All of them. And then he would not be coming on the Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, or anything. So what this means is two possibilities. Two possibilities. One, either He's not coming back on the Day of Atonement at all, but those words which I was referring to, which looks like that they may be indicating that he could come back on the Day of Atonement, that could be only symbolic, only symbolic. He could come back any day, and I said that before. I said that he could come back any day of the year. It don't have to be the Day of Atonement. That's what I said. And so... 
those words may be only symbolic, that when he comes back, it would be like the slaughter, like the slaughter of those animals that they committed on the, only on the Day of Atonement. It could be only symbolic. Then, possibility number two. Possibility number two could be maybe he will come back on a Day of Atonement of some use. And now, at this stage of time, the only possible Day of Atonement, the earliest, the earliest, if, 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 if he's coming back on the Day of Atonement, the earliest that he would come back would be the Day of Atonement of 2020 because we have to have 1,335 days. And then that would put the abomination of desolation uh, like about 10 or 11 months from now. Uh, if that's the case. If he's coming back on the Day of Atonement of 2020, which is the first possible Day of Atonement that he could come back, then that would put the abomination of desolation uh, 10, 11 months away from now. Uh, But we don't know for sure if those words are symbolic or literal. I don't know yet. Those words could be symbolic or literal. If they're symbolic, then the abomination of desolation could be any day, any week, or any month, and then that would put the return of Jesus Christ 1,335 days after that, regardless of what month and what year. But either way that this works out, either way, either way, uh, Jesus cannot and will not be back before mid-November 2019. It just won't happen. He cannot and will not be back before mid-November 2019 because we must, must have 1,335 days from the abomination of desolation until the day of the battle of Armageddon. That is what the Bible says. And scripture cannot be broken. The abomination of desolation, I do feel, could happen any day, any week, uh, any month, Uh, We just need to be ready. Whenever it's going to happen, we just need to be ready. Amen? And let me say this. That one of my points is still true. And all my points dealing with this subject are still true. That Once the abomination of desolation does occur, once the abomination of desolation does occur, we're going to know pretty much what day Jesus is going to come back. We will. Because all we have to do, according to the Bible, is count from that day 
of the day of the battle, uh, I mean, uh, the abomination of desolation, all we got to do is count 1,335 days. And then that's going to be the day of his return. Plus or minus a day, according to how you calculate it. So, it's not going to be impossible. It's not going to be impossible to know his return. The Bible tells us repeatedly how many days it's going to be. Why why does it give us how many days if we can't count? Can we not count? Can we not count? Why does it give us the exact number of days if we cannot count? We're going to know the day of the Lord once that abomination of desolation happens. Amen? Now, when is that abomination of desolation? Any day, any week, any month. I cannot see how it could go another whole year without the abomination of desolation. It might. It may. I just don't understand how we could go another whole year without the abomination of desolation. It might. We just have to wait and see. We just got to be watchful every day, regardless of the situation. Regardless. Regardless of when. We still have to approach all this the same manner, the same way. Nothing changes. We got to get ready spiritually mentally, emotionally, and physically, we've got to get ready. And every day that passes that the abomination of desolation has not yet occurred, we need to be grateful. We need to be thankful that it has not occurred yet. We need to just be thankful that it has not happened yet. Instead of pointing fingers Oh, it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen. We need to just be thankful that it didn't happen. Amen? And then get more serious about getting ready. God has given us a little bit more time. Let's be thankful for it and use our time wisely and not be wasting our time about getting right and taking the steps that we need to take to get right with him, get our lives straightened up, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically in all things. Seek the counsel of the Lord, pray, and read the Bible. And pray more, and read the Bible more. Pray more. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on the broadcast next seventh day, every Saturday, same time, 12 noon. Please visit the website, isawthelightministries.com. isawthelightministries.com. We also have a YouTube page and a newsletter that you can subscribe to. We've got a lot of different things going on, a lot of different outreach ministries in different ways that you can follow the ministry, continue your education in the Lord, continue uh, learning from the Lord, growing in this truth, 
in his word, in his will, but most importantly, in a relationship with him. Amen. Above all else, it goes back to that one thing. Love God. Amen. And if you really, truly love God, everything else will fall in place. Amen. It all goes back to the first commandment. Thank you for listening again. And I will close down the internet. And God bless uh, everyone. In Jesus' name, amen.
step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.